all those nice things he said. Um, I want to just briefly just say thanks to the, the ministers from my church that have made the journey from Southwest London, Hurtance and Gail, Mr. Pauling. Could you just stand? Let's just give them a, a big God bless you. Where's the rest of them? Angela, come on, stand. Elder Sharma, Angela, so good to see you. Hopefully, see at the back there, Carol, amen. So, so good. And hopefully, there'll be a few more here tomorrow. Um, loved ones, I want to share something with you um, in line with what Pastor Joe's been sharing. Um, if you don't mind, I just want to pray briefly, very briefly. Father, we thank you for this apostolic summit. Lord, we recognize that the true nature of apostolos, the, the true nature of sent ones, is for them to be a catalyst for change. That there would be a movement on this earth that would bring us in line with scripture. And Lord, we pray that throughout these two days, Lord, that that paradigm of father and son will be embedded in our spirit. We ask this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to just share with you, um, as an opening text, Proverbs 13.22. Proverbs 13.22. And the Bible says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. An inheritance for his children's children. Um, I want to suggest to you that when you look at the text... It is challenging us to think beyond our own generation. There is a sense that we're talking about three generations. We're talking about current fatherhood. We're talking about our sons. And we're talking about our sons' sons. In other words, it is the movements we make now that set the template for generations to follow. I have no problem um, in using the expression apostolic, providing it becomes a movement for change. It becomes something that brings people into the fullness of Christ. I believe that in order for us to leave an inheritance, there are a couple of things that we need to consider. And I want us in the next sort of 35 minutes to consider succession, inheritance, and positioning. Succession, inheritance, and positioning. And we're going to conclude by exploring three approaches from sons to fathers. So succession, inheritance, and positioning. Let me talk to you about inheritance. The Bible is rich. In fact, the New Testament is predicated on the fact that we have an inheritance. Something has been left for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we talk about inheritance, it's to receive the posterity of who you have succeeded. Now let me quickly unpack that. In every generation, there are leaders who have dreams. And we use this rather English word posterity to talk about the things that we value and the things that we hope will come in the future. When the Lord raises up sons, we become the fulfillment of their posterity. 
So we succeed and we almost become the dream fulfillers. We may not have been the dream makers, but we become the fulfillment of our, the person we have succeeded dreams. So the reality is, is that when you have an inheritance, you benefit from what your successor has obtained. I've never understood when you hear about family feuds and people fighting over an inheritance. Because for me, the, the, the most profound principle is that you are receiving something that you didn't fight for. But yet, by the grace of the person who has gone on to be with the Lord, they've left something for you to obtain. And the process by which we obtain the paradigm is called father-son relationship. There are so many other things that we could call it, but essentially, as Pastor Joe said, it is the paradigm for inheritance. And we see this through the, the messianic prophecies and through the ministry of Jesus that without the acknowledgement of the father and the son, then you cannot receive your inheritance. So when we start to think about inheritance, it would be remiss of me to suggest that it's not possible for you to lose your inheritance. And you can lose your inheritance depending on your relationship to your father. <laughs> Do you know, I want to share something. Hopefully you'll see in Proverbs 17 verse 2. Could you read this with me, loved ones? A wise servant, come and read together. A wise servant will rule over a son who causes shame and will share an inheritance amongst the brothers. Now this is a reversal of who break tradition. But what it is suggesting that if a legitimate son causes shame to their father, then a servant would be elevated to the place of sonship. So it is important for us not to be arrogant and simply say, because I am a son, I must get this and I must get that. There, it, there is a requirement we are mandated to know how to honor and respect our fathers. Let's move on to succession. Succession suggests who and what we follow. It talks about what comes after. But let me put it to you this way. Success is not tied to succession, but it is tied to inheritance. If you succeed someone, if you come after someone, but you have not inherited what they have left, then your succession is not successful. Let, let me explain this. Jesus trained 12 men for approximately three and a half years. The ideology behind it was that they would succeed him. But he told them, in order to succeed me, you need to make sure you stay in Jerusalem. Because if you don't receive the Holy Spirit, then you won't have a successful succession. We could go right through the scripture, the same with Elijah and Elisha. Elisha 
followed Elijah, but the premise was, the protocol was, if you want to inherit, you have to see me depart. So following after someone, this is where there is often problems within the body of Christ, that we automatically assume that because someone follows us, that they are a successful successor. But it is those who position themselves to receive their inheritance. Let me ask you something. Who's following you? It's something I ask myself. Really, who is following me? Not who might succeed me, but who is following me? Because the reason why these unlearned men, these fishermen, could turn the world upside down is because it was more about adapting and receiving what the Lord taught and the way he behaved and the way he spoke that caused them to be successful successors. The third thing, before we move on to the meat of what I want to talk about, is positioning. So we talked about inheritance, we talked about succession, but also how important positioning is. And even though the emphasis of what I want to share is about sonship, it's also important that a father knows who his firstborn are. In Deuteronomy 21 verse 17, it says something very profound. It says that the firstborn is literally the beginning of your strength. The manifestation of your strength. And we know that in Hebraic tradition, the firstborn receives a double portion of the inheritance. What has this got to do with what I'm trying to say? It is possible as a leader to have many sons. But not every son qualifies as a firstborn. Now, I know it sounds controversial, and I'm sure Pastor Joe, over the next couple of days, will dig me out of this hole. Okay? But when you are talking about specific aspects of succession, you must know your firstborn amongst your sons. I have I've been blessed with some tremendous people, but in my spirit, I must know who the firstborns are because they are the ones that are literally the manifestation of my strength. In fact, biblically, the firstborn has the right to succeed the role of the father. So when you are in a church or you're in a ministry and you say, all of you are my sons, and I'm obviously in a generic sense. Wonderful. But does that mean that if you go on to be with the Lord, everyone's going to be the senior pastor? You'll have anarchy. So in your spirit, my God, you begin to discern who amongst your sons are your firstborn. Glory, God. So even in this, there is the wisdom of God because Let's be honest, sometimes, even though you discern who your firstborn sons are, they can disqualify themselves. 
So there are times when God can change positioning based on divine wisdom. Now, I'm going to have a private conversation with my friends. Is that all right? Now, Peter, Joe, how many times have you seen God in our ministries change the positioning of people we thought would be our successor? You know, we're, we're, we're saying, God, look, you know, this is, this is Manasseh and this is Ephraim. And God says, because of my divine wisdom and because of my foreknowledge, and that's God's language, foreknowledge, he swaps his hands and he says, I know you think this one is going to be the firstborn, but because of my foreknowledge, I see what's ahead. If you allow this person to be your successor, you lose everything you've built. Is that all right? Sorry, that was our private conversation. So there are times, because of divine wisdom, he reverses. He says, I know it should be Ephraim, but I'm going to make it Manasseh. And because Jacob didn't understand it, he thought, he thought his father was incompetent. <laughs> yeah, Manasseh and Ephraim, sorry. Because, because he thought his father was incompetent, he tried to reverse it. So it's really important that we understand that God can change divine order based on infinite wisdom. Let's say that again. God can change divine order based on infinite wisdom. Someone say amen. amen. Okay. Sometimes positioning of sons can change because of attitude. Jacob and Esau how can someone lose their positioning based on food? <laughs> and oftentimes it's the realm of your son's hunger that will determine whether they succeed or not. The realm of his passion was his flesh. And all ja I know we, we can get upset with Jacob, but Jacob just tapped into what already existed in his brother. So it's important that according to our choices and attitude, our positioning can change. Now let me just say a couple of things before we move on to the three sons, and I'm really excited about the three sons. There is a real challenge on us as fathers to mature. And for me personally, I've been very careful in the early days of my ministry about what people called me. In fact, let me expand on that. It's not so much what people called me, it's what I called myself. Because if you call yourself a father, there is a level of maturity that must be commensurate to that title. The danger is, is that you call yourself something you have not yet qualified to be called. And, and I look at David, I look at this tremendous man of God and realize that the first place he was anointed as a father was Hebron. Okay? He reigned there for about six, about seven years, seven, seven and a half. While he was there, how many sons did he have? Six sons. 
But when he moved to Jerusalem, he more than doubled the sons that he had. He had 13 sons. And I believe that as we mature, our sons will multiply. Hebron was just the beginning. And I've realized that God gives you the sons that you can manage. And when he was ready for Jerusalem, he more than doubled what he had because he had matured. And what I sense is happening in the spirit realm right across the kingdom is that as fathers mature, as we seek God's face, as we remain humble, God begins to entrust us with more sons, sons in different localities, sons in different nations. Stand with me just for two minutes, just for two minutes. Can we just pray, Father, help us to mature so that our sons will multiply. Come on, let's just pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, as we assimilate from sons to fathers, we pray in the name of Jesus that as we mature, you will multiply our children from the north, the south, the east, and the west. Lord, multiply our church planting multiply our heart to adopt ministries multiply our heart Lord you said that we would run the way of your commandment when you have enlarged our heart enlarge our heart to receive nations communities right across this nation and beyond father multiply our children as we mature as fathers in the name of Jesus, she may be seated. Glory to God. So David's reign grew. And as he matured, his sons multiplied. But for the next 10 minutes, I want to share with you about the three sons. Three sons that he produced out of the 19. That I believe can become a premise for learning. Absalom. <laughs> there is always the risk that you can produce a son that becomes your blind spot. But that son is often the most dangerous. Now, I... <laughs> I want you to know that when we look at the story and we know the story of his sister Tamar and we know that what happened to Tamar was unjust, it was, it was grotesque. But it was what Absalom did that caught my attention because he didn't just kill any one of his brothers. He killed the firstborn. Because Ammon was David's firstborn. So even through that action that from one vantage point appeared to be a righteous act. My personal conviction is that behind it something was sowed in his heart. To say I'm going to kill the firstborn because I want to have what he has. Not only... Did he, and Pastor Joe talked about the importance of Hebraic names. His name literally means father is peace, but he came in an opposite spirit. 
I'm always wary of children that come in the opposite spirit of their fathers. Glory to God. And to make a statement, Absalom went to the same place his father was first initiated. Went to Hebron and declared himself. The word Hebron, one of the words in Hebrew for, Hebrew, uh, for Hebron is the word, English word, association. So for, for him, for Absalom, it's like, I want to make sure people now associate me with the same anointing that my father had. But association doesn't mean character. Glory to God. Absalom killed David's firstborn. And it became his weak spot. Drove his father. It drove his father from his throne. Poisoned the hearts of the people. The second son that I want to talk to you about is Adonijah. <laughs> Adonijah was an opportunist. And the Bible said he exalted himself saying, I will be king. It's incredible, you know, I listen very carefully when any of my leaders are in the pulpit. They're here. Because I want to listen to what they're saying. And the Bible says, Adonijah, in 1 Kings 1.5 says, I, he said to himself, I will be king. So what happens, Adonijahs look for a platform to exalt themselves through what they say. The strength of an Adonijah is in what they say. So when you bring an Adonijah into a place where they can vocalize, you are releasing something over the kingdom that is completely opposite to what should be established on the throne. Do you know, as fathers, we, we love our sons. And we always want to give them opportunity. And we want to raise them up. And we say, look, you have this, it's all right. You have the profile. But we've got to know our children. I have four beautiful children. But I know who to leave in charge. I know who will leave the dishes dirty. I know who will challenge me. You have to know your children. The last son I want to talk about is Solomon. And this is incredible because David proclaimed and appointed Solomon to be king. David did it. And I remember some years ago getting into a theological debate, but it was all good, a bit of apologetics about David. And I said to them, it is my humble opinion, and you may not agree with me, that this is the first time in history where there is a form of co-regency. Every other king, their successor came to the throne when they died. 
what was it about what David did? What kind of man do you need to be where you are not threatened to promote your son while you are still king? That you can be prophetic while you are not dead, but while you are alive. And tell the nation, my son is going to be king in my place. What kind of man do you need to be that can prophesy your end, but know you live on in your son? What kind of man do you need to be knowing that your son could even be greater, but you are totally at peace to decree and declare he is my successor. Do you know what, Joe? This challenged me more than all of them. Could I do that? <laughs> you would say that because you're my friend. Could we do that? Imagine, let's bring it into context. I'm coming. You know, Peter, you, you come here on Sunday and say, right, I just want to let you know the Lord's shown me in two years that man and that woman's going to be the senior pastor of the church. Do you, know, do you know what is so sad and what worries me about the body of Christ as a whole is that we, we follow people more than we follow their legacy. Because this nation realized that it was not about following David. It was about following his Davidic legacy. And that is why in the chronology it traces right up to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there was something supernatural about allowing the king to go back to the father so his son could sit on the throne while he was alive. David fought the battles so his son could be a man of peace. We fight the battles for the children we know will succeed us. And Benaniah, he says something incredible. 1 Kings 1 verse 37 he says, as the Lord has been with my Lord the King, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David. I mean, that's the time when you bind and rebuke, isn't it? He just says, amen. My last point is this. I believe that God is creating paradigms that are dynamic, but paradigms that will challenge us. Paradigms that will bring the order that God longs for in his church. I think that there has been too much tension between sons and fathers. And it's often because of misunderstanding. The joy of a father is to see his children succeed. And not just see, succeed but to be greater. The joy of a son should be to see his father fulfill his or her destiny. And the thing that I really want to just share with you before we pray is that we have an opportunity to release something out of this place that can be a catalyst beyond your lifetime. And I know that doesn't sound very groovy, but I am totally at peace if what God would have me to do during my lifetime someone else can benefit from. I'm totally at peace with that because I know heaven is real. 
I'm totally at peace that I can be part of a relay that encourages me to hand the baton to someone else to finish. I'm totally at peace with that. Because what we got to understand, the true commendation of your fatherhood is in eternity. It's not really here. It's nice you get the platitudes here, but the true estimation of who you've raised up, who you've sold into, is in eternity. Could you stand with me, please? And I would ask, Pastor Joe, you said you want some time of ministration. Do you want me to just go straight into that? Yeah, okay. I would ask that um, our pastors, Peter and uh, Joe and others, please join me at this time um, up here. I recently um, did a funeral for a great man of God. And um, those of you who are from my church, you'll know who I'm talking about. And when I did the funeral, um, I was told he had about six people in his church when he died. But I was completely overwhelmed by the influence of this man. The amount of people he fed in the community, the amount of young men he released into ministry, the young women that needed a father because they didn't have a father. And as I conducted this funeral, I said, Lord, if I'm going to measure someone's fatherhood by their significance, I've lost it. This man influenced generations upon generations. And maybe you're here this evening with a real sense in your heart that you need the blessing of a father. We're not trying, you know, one thing I've said to people is that the church is not supposed to replace the family. We don't have replacement theology. But sometimes the things that we struggle with would be made so much easier when someone just comes alongside us and says, I'm with you. I'm with you. It, it's okay. You, you, you can be weak because I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you till you're strong. I'll provide the wisdom. I'll allow you to watch me with all my faults. I'll allow you to watch me. I'll allow you to fight with me. I'll fight with you. Sometimes that's what we need. That's all we need. You know, we, we can go so many places, but there's nothing like that sense of fatherhood. And if that's your heart today, and it's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of victory. When someone that you know has your best interests at heart can release something into your life today that becomes a catalyst. And do you know what will happen? You will go on to become fathers yourself. <laughs> the cycle never stops. And I suppose that means we become grandfathers or great-grandfathers. <laughs> Only joking. Would you like to come forward? Anyone who feels that in their heart, don't, don't wait and see who's coming. This is for you. 
you, you want to receive today, you want to receive this evening strength in your own spirit as Israel looked over his grandchildren and blessed and released something. Let's release something. Let's help you. Let's stand with you. Go, Rabbi.